Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New England Patriots. This is the Patriots Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Patriots Wire editor, Henry McKenna. Oh man, Henry, where to begin? I don't know the last time I saw the Patriots in a game that they really had to win to kind of get some momentum back, just getting trucked. 33-6 33-6 by the 49ers. They're just getting awful quarterback play. Something's going on with Cam Newton ever since he got COVID, and he has not looked like the same guy. The Patriots actually have, like, the worst quarterback situation in the league right now, and I feel some sort of way seeing Jimmy Garoppolo on the 49ers and, and him being part of that big win for the 49ers against the Pats, and I'll share why here coming up. But let me get your take on this, man. The Patriots are 2-4. and four. They're getting just completely annihilated in games now by a 49ers team that I think we'll all agree is kind of mediocre this year. Plenty to be worried about. What's at the top of your list right now, Henry? Well, I have so many thoughts after what you just said. <laughs> my first thought... The floor is yours. <laughs> yeah. Well, my first thought to answer your first question is, where's my biggest worry? Well, the, the obvious answer is, is Cam Newton. And I think that's 1A and 1B is Josh McDaniels. So by now, if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably got a good sense of how bad Cam Newton's been. And I would contend that it actually started before COVID, before his, his contracting COVID. It actually yeah. started against the Raiders when all the Patriots could do to move the ball was throw screen passes because Newton couldn't get the ball downfield. So this has been a problem for a very long time, which is why my 1B person is sort of the this, this sort of top but barely secondary problem is actually Josh McDaniels. And I think he's done two major – he's had – major errors in sort of two ways. The first is he's not doing enough to highlight Cam Newton's strengths, right? Zone reads are rarely seen these days and he didn't he he uses them so sparingly that he's also not building off of them to create run pass options to create uh, opportunities for Cam to improvise beyond the pocket. So that's that's a problem. And then the other thing that McDaniels is doing is throwing very very sparingly and if you look at newton's numbers it's it's he's really not that bad like he's still completing in in the 49ers loss he completed 60 percent of his passes i mean obviously you you see the interception total and you get pretty worried but yards yards per attempt is i think like 7.4 on the season uh, and all of that is probably boosted in large part by his game against the Seahawks, which we've now very clearly seen to be an anomaly. So yeah, you kind of have right. to pull those away. But uh, the point is, if the Patriots start throwing the ball more on first down and, and definitely on second down, I think they have a better statistical chance of getting yards and having shorter third downs and then converting where Newton doesn't feel like he has to make the big play. And then the last thing I think that I wanted to touch on is actually that I think the 49ers are good. You said that they're 
they're not, um, or at least that they're inconsistent or average. I think actually, you know, you, you mentioned their running back situation. It, it's very reminiscent of their run in the playoffs where they turned to Raheem Mostert, mm-hmm. someone who no one had ever heard of prior to like December of last year. And that's an exaggeration, but you know what I mean? And, <laughs> right, right. and he, and I think like Jamichael Hasty and Jeff Wilson, it's the same thing. It's like, it's really like a systematic, it's a system that highlights running backs unlike any other. And that's why those guys are excelling. It's because Shanahan is so good at what he does. And Jimmy Garoppolo didn't really have to do much. And all of a sudden they blew out the Patriots 33 to six. The 49ers are very much going to be in the mix to make the Super Bowl this year. That, that much was clear that they're healthy and they are dangerous, both offensively and defensively. So I think um, this is a tough loss for the Patriots because the scale of the blowout, even if it is a team that's a Super Bowl contender, you can't lose 33-6. to And in the way that they did was just an utter embarrassment. Right, on your home field too. And I talked about feeling a certain kind of way with Jimmy Garoppolo on the other side. And the only reason I said that is because I think maybe we got to put Belichick on the list too. Like we, we're, we're talking about Cam Newton, we're talking about Josh McDaniels. We got to put Belichick on the list too because, you know, the succession plan to Brady was Garoppolo, right? That was the guy. They had him for years in the playbook. He'd gotten in a couple games. He looked really good. He looked like he could play. And the Patriots decided to trade him. Now, I don't disagree with that decision at all. The Patriots ended up getting another Super Bowl with Tom Brady, right? What I disagree with is them letting Tom Brady negotiate that franchise tag thing where the Patriots couldn't franchise him and then letting Tom Brady actually actually letting Brady walk and go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where he is playing like he did in 2010. He is he is playing at the top of his game. And it is painful, Henry, to watch Brady playing like that and to watch the 49ers, like you said, continuing to win, you know, overcoming their injuries. You're right. Their their system is awesome. You watch Jermichael Hasty is going to be like a stud the next couple of weeks. You just wait. That's what they do over in San Fran with Shanahan. So, yeah, I agree with you 100% there. But to see Garoppolo excelling, he got to a Super Bowl last year. He's still the starter in San Francisco. He He's doing his thing and to see Brady tearing it up in Tampa Bay and to see the Patriots have really one of the worst quarterback situations in all of football right now. I don't care what metric you look at. When you look at the passing for the Patriots, they're one of the worst in the NFL, right? So, man, I think the scoreboard's not being kind to Belichick on the way he handled this. He could have paid Brady. He could have kept him here throughout this situation so they could come up with a, another succession plan, you know, after Garoppolo left. They could have came up with something else. Did they really believe it was Jarrett Stidham? I, you know, I, I hate to believe that would be the case now, seeing what, what he looks like when he goes in the game. Like, they bench Cam Newton, they bring in Stidham. He doesn't look much better, right? So that's where it's painful for me. The succession plan was Garoppolo. They moved on from him, and now they don't have another succession plan, right? They're kind of flying by the seam of their pants, and we're seeing the results of that, right? The Patriots are now in a position where if they lose to the Buffalo Bills, the season's probably over. They're going to be 2-5, and going to be out of the division, and it's gonna they're going to be toast. So this is just not a comfortable position to be in, and I think Belichick's got to be on the list because he let Brady walk because he didn't want to pay him. And uh, or or whatever, or that that relationship was fractured, or whatever it is. But Brady's playing at a at a Brady level. Garoppolo's fine in San Francisco, and the Patriots are getting crappy quarterback play. So it's it's painful all the way around, my man. Yeah, that that nails nails it. I think we I I I think most people, but but I I will stand at least and speak for myself in saying that Brady was was always going to do well in Tampa, yeah. even after Week One when he had that bad pick six. 
I I wrote for the other USA Today website that I work at for the win. I wrote that he was going to be fine, that this was a shortened offseason. He didn't have time to work with his receivers. Timing's what he needs. And that Bruce Arians hadn't adjusted the system enough to fit Brady. A few weeks later, we we're seeing all of those things coalesce. Arians is, is accommodating Brady. Brady is gelling with his receivers and the offense looks good and the defense is supporting the offense in a way that is sort of reminiscent of, of Patriots play at least since in the bend don't break eras so that I saw coming because Belichick likes to get rid of players too early rather than too late and this wasn't a too late situation this was definitely a too early situation Brady Brady looked not great in 2019, but when Mohamed Sanu got cut, it was a pretty clear indicator that they were vastly underarmed mm-hmm. from sort of a weapon standpoint. So it was pretty clear that if the number two receiver in 2019 got cut in 2020, that both in 2019 and in 2020, they just don't have enough talent at that position. So that I would say I expected. What I did not expect would be that the Patriots go into 2020 with a position group at quarterback that is so underprepared and perhaps under talented. What we saw with Garoppolo is that he's a guy that, you know, maybe he's not the best quarterback in the league. Maybe he'll never be a top five quarterback, but he can be a quarterback on a top two team in the NFL. And and that's really what the Patriots want right now, I'd say. I mean, any team would want that out of a quarterback, right? A quarterback that can get you into a Super Bowl. But the Patriots' inability to line up a quarterback of the caliber that that they've done in the past, where, where like Matt Castle, obviously his supporting cast in 2008 was just absurd. It was that 2007 roster that set every record. So, of course, Matt Castle looked pretty good, surrounded by Randy Moss and Wes Welker in his prime. The... 2016 Jimmy Garoppolo situation was a testament that he was better than Matt Castle, that he was a little bit more special. And everybody knows that finding a quarterback in the NFL is is really hard. But the fact that the Patriots thought that they could sink a fourth round pick into Jarrett Stidham, throwing a veteran minimum at Brian Hoyer, and then the same, the veteran minimum at Cam Newton, knowing what we know now seems sort of foolhardy. You know, I I think to a degree, I'm sort of like playing prisoner of the moment because at the time I thought signing Newton was very savvy and thought that he would be enough. But that was because I thought they also had faith that Stidham could be enough in the event Newton didn't pan out. And if they did actually have faith that Stidham could be enough, then their faith was misplaced because he's been a a disappointment from the first day of training camp. He he was not competitive with Newton, even though he got competitive reps. And then we have not seen him in situations where he has the opportunity to make a case to be the starter in games. He flunks. His percentage, his completion percentage is under 50%. He's throwing stupid interceptions. So their quarterback situation is so far from what I thought it would be. And you have to wonder how they got here because they had plenty of opportunities in years past to prepare for this moment. And their answer was basically like, we're going to draft Jarrett Stidham and develop him, which hasn't worked out. And then when they maybe realized that they needed a bridge quarterback, okay, well, we'll sign Newton and sort of work as a reclamation project for him. And that hasn't worked either. 
So this plan is is imploding quickly. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, no, if Stidham was the plan, then I don't like the plan, Bill. You know, Coach Belichick, I don't like the plan if Stidham was the guy because it doesn't look like that's going to work out. We'll pick up this conversation on the other side. We'll be right back. Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Stidham, Stardom, these are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends in a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from TheHuddle.com. Corey Bonini with TheHuddle.com here. Let's talk about Week 8 strong plays as we approach the critical times of the fantasy football season. Despite what has been an awful season for Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Carson Wentz, now is the time to get him into your lineup. The Dallas Cowboys are actually a statistically mid-range defense against quarterbacks in 2020, but the position has still averaged 25.5 fantasy points per game and has thrown 15 touchdowns in 7 contests versus just 1 interception. Wentz has been a turnover machine in 2020. Expect that trend to be bucked this week. He has just enough weapons to be relevant in a fantasy football lineup. Not much has gone right for the New England Patriots on either side of the ball in 2020. Running back Damian Harris could be the bright spot this week against the Buffalo Bills. Injuries have plagued this defense, and Buffalo has given up 15% more fantasy points than average in the last three games, fueled by four touchdowns allowed in those three contests. With Cam Newton struggling so much throwing the ball, look for Bill Belichick to give it to the running game more than usual. The Seattle Seahawks have been a wealth of fantasy points for wide receivers in 2020. 49ers receiver Brandon Ayuk has a chance to shine in Week 8. Seattle has been hilariously bad against wide receivers in 2020, giving up 60.1 PPR points per game. The next closest team is Cleveland at 48.3. San Francisco just lost Debo Samuel for a couple of games with a hamstring injury last week, and you can bet Ayuk, who has been a consistent contributor as a rookie, will find various ways to perform up to par in fantasy football in Week 8. Seattle has to focus on containing George Kittle, and that will give a lot of opportunities for Ayuk to use his speed down the field. Chicago Bears tight end Jimmy Graham gets a rematch against his former employer facing the New Orleans Saints. Tight ends have scored once a game on average versus this defense, and four different players have logged at least a dozen PPR points against New Orleans in 2020. Graham doesn't even need a lot of volume in this one to offer a better-than-average chance at finding the end zone in Week 8. For all of your fantasy football tips, information, news, and advice, be sure to check out thehuddle.com. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Henry, this game in Buffalo this week for the Pats, it kind of feels like Super Bowl Sunday. Like, either the Patriots are going to win this ball game and get right back in the AFC East pitcher, or they're going to lose it, and it's going to be time to start looking at 2021. And if they do lose this ball game, like, are you buying or selling big-time moves at the trade deadline for draft picks? Like, what about Stephon Gilmore? Like, if the Pats lose to the Bills this weekend, are you buying or selling you know, shipping Gilmore off to a contender and trying to get like a first round pick in return or, or a, you know, a good second round pick. Because I think if they lose to the Bills and fall to two and five, you know, forget it. You know what I mean? Like the AFC playoff picture is kind of stacked right now. The worst team is four and two in the Colts. So they're just going to be out of it. It is such a fascinating pivot point potentially for the history of the New England Patriots this Sunday. I mean, it sounds crazy to overhype a game it's huge. to that degree, <laughs> it's huge. but it, re- it really could be that big because, and you know, I don't, I, I can't speak to how Bill Belichick is thinking philosophically 
to what would happen if you went two and five because we've never seen anything like it. But that in itself, the fact that it's unprecedented makes this such an interesting pivot point. Not to cut you off, Henry, but if they do lose it, I think we can officially say the dynasty's over and it's time to it's time to rebuild. Right. I mean, if they lose it and fall to two and five, that's where we're at. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I, I would declare dynasty over until I see Bill Belichick retire. Yeah, because okay. what I think could happen is they could put Jared Stidham in for the remainder of the season, and it, it would be sort of like what the Jets are doing with Adam Gase, where they're like, "Oh yeah, um, well, we want to lose game, so <laughs> yeah. we might as well just ride Gase." I think it's the same thing with with Stidham, where you know we want to lose games, so we ride with him and. In the process, they'll learn if he's anything. And what they'll likely learn is that he's probably not. Right. And they'll win like three or four games and be at the top of the draft where they could be in reach of Justin Fields or Trey Lance. Probably not Trevor Lawrence. But these are all three names that, unfortunately, Patriots fans might get to know very intimately. Oh, I, would, um, I would love to get Justin. I would love to get to know Justin Fields. Bring it on. A really brilliant talent coming out of Ohio State. Oh, so, awesome. Yeah, but. Two and five is is a deep, deep hole. I mean, even two and four. No, no team in NFL history has won the Super Bowl after going two and four. So some people could argue that the pivot points already passed. That the Bills are yep. not a game that really even matters if the Patriots win. But the NFC, sorry, the AFC is not unlike the NFCs. I think is going to be a division that a bad record can make the playoffs. So I think Belichick thinks he's still got a chance to win the AFCs if. He beats the Bills. So if if the loss happens, then I think they should sell. Now, I don't know about Gilmore because he's still a really good cornerback. And I think if the Patriots do, quote-unquote, rebuild, they're looking for a, a one-year turnaround. They they have been stockpiling cash like it's nobody's business. They got it, so that in, no doubt. Yeah, so that in 2021, they're going to be absolutely – relatively speaking rich the half of the league is going to be struggling to get under the salary cap of 175 million while the patriots are going to be ready to sign whoever whenever at every position (laughs) to facilitate a rebuild and then if they're bad as well they'll also have high draft picks so if the patriots do lose this year they could quickly spin around extend gilmore sign a few players, but in particular on offense, and draft maybe a quarterback and all of a sudden be relevant again in 2021. That's why I think like J.C. Jackson strikes me as a better trade candidate. He is going to be a restricted free agent in 2021. What any team should do, what the Patriots would do if they if they retain him, would put a first-round tender on him. So he makes, I think, probably $2.5 million for 2021. That's a no-brainer for a guy who is like a borderline cornerback number one, yep, yep. but plays cornerback two for the Patriots. So that's a that's a really favorable contract. He was an undrafted free agent. So right now he's playing for really cheap for 18 months. And then in those 18 months that you rent him, you can decide whether you want to extend him. It's basically like trading for Malcolm Butler before he hit free agency. And the Patriots thought Butler was so valuable that they kept him around. But if New England's in rebuild mode, then they will potentially take a guy like that and get, you know, a second. I think they could get like a second or a third round pick for him. Maybe that's overly optimistic. But if you're if you're looking at Gilmore for a third or a second and J.C. Jackson for a third or a second, I think you trade J.C. Jackson, a guy you're unlikely to extend in 2022. 
Yeah, that's that's interesting. I like that take. I do. That's that's an interesting take. It's one I didn't really think of. I thought Gilmore because you know he's going to demand the bigger contract. Maybe he'd be the guy to move. But yeah, I do, I do like that take. And you know when I look at this game, Henry, the Patriots look like dog crap. The last two weeks, they just look terrible. And the Bills are five and two, and really they're ready to just put the nail in that Patriots coffin. They've been waiting a long time to do this, but I would not be surprised at all if the Patriots go out and win this ball game. I'll tell you why here coming up next. <laughs> It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Eston McLaren of Sportsbook Wire and Bet Slippin' Podcast. I'm joined by Jeff Clark to break down all you need to know to bet on the Week 8 Monday Night Football matchup between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and New York Giants. The Bucks at 5-2 are favored by 10.5 points with minus 115 odds. The Giants, 1-6, are getting 10.5 points at home, minus 106 odds. They're also plus 390 on the money line. Jeff, is there any way listeners can take the Giants in this game? Oh, absolutely. I'm on the Giants plus 10.5. Tampa Bay will be without uh, one of its best wide receivers in Chris Godwin. And the Giants have covered seven over the last eight when getting double digits since 2004, including earlier this year against the Los Angeles Rams, who are a good team. Oh, get out of here. The Giants offense, an absolute mess. The Bucks. They have won every game by at least seven points, four by at least 14 points, five different leading receivers. That Giants defense doesn't have it to stop them. Subscribe to Bet7 Podcast on your favorite app. Please be sure to rate and review. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Henry, wouldn't it be so Patriots Bills if the Pats went into Buffalo and just beat them? You know, if they're looking just so terrible, I think that would be the Bills experience. Sean McDermott has never won a game against Bill Belichick as coach of the Bills. Josh Allen has never won a game quarterbacking against Bill Belichick, right? This would be so Patriots Bills if the Pats go in there with this outfit, this struggling team that couldn't beat the Broncos. You know, they've scored 18 total points in two games. And they go into Buffalo and win. I mean, the Bills, their defense is really struggling. They're not really any juggernaut. The Bills' offense has been terrible in the red zone, and that's where the Patriots have kind of excelled. We know that the secondary for the Pats is one thing that we know will show up and then we can hang our hat on, the secondary. So if they can just figure out how to stop the run and score some points, they'll probably be in this game. And they're only three-and-a-half-point underdogs on the road. I don't know, Henry. I just would not be surprised at all if the Pats went in and and beat them. That would just be so Patriots-Bills, and it would actually be kind of hilarious. And if they do, does that flip the conversation right so the Patriots beat the Bills now all of a sudden they're right in the thick of things in the AFC East and do you look at okay maybe we're not selling pieces of the deadline maybe we look at you know look at the Giants right the Giants cannot figure out how to use Evan Ingram their tight end he could be an interesting guy could we go get Evan Ingram and put him at tight end and just get another weapon and try to fix this offense or do we see more of Jacoby Myers and and give up on Nikhil Harry whose stat line this year is like what a, a normal top receiver would have in two weeks and that's his entire season, right? He has 19 catches on the year. So I don't know. Do the Patriots like all of a sudden become buyers if they do win this game against the Bills? And I don't think that's out of the question. Like, what do you think about that? 
I think that's a that's a smart idea. Uh, we ran this morning a story about why Jacoby Myers. It's time for him to move into the role that Nikhil Harry had. It should be a past tense thing, right? That he has right now. Yeah, that's that's um, where I got the idea, by the way, from Patriots Wire. <laughs> uh, there you go. I think that the idea of trading for Evan Ingram is a really good one because, yes, he's going to cost premium draft capital, like maybe a second round pick. But you would be lucky to get a player of that talent in the second round. So the, the Giants probably are OK to move on from him. You've got a positive relationship that could help trade talk, talks go smoothly. Joe Judge obviously being the special teams coordinator in New England. Good point. Could help sort of grease the the conversation a little bit. And I think those two moves put two really solid possession receivers into a Patriots offense that doesn't seem to have any. Jameer Bird has become a possession receiver because he's had to, but with the amount of snaps he gets, he doesn't really put up good numbers versus what Jacoby Myers did in week seven. He had, I mean, four catches is not a huge game, but he had 60 yards. It's crazy that we think that that's a good stat line, by the way. That's how bad this Patriots offense has gotten. Seriously. That we're like, holy cow, 60 yards. Let's get him some more play. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, yeah. Myers is now the savior. But but so, so I think the little perspective on that is important that he's not, like you said, he's not the savior. But put him in the offense, put um, Evan Ingram in the offense. Demir Bird can finally play the job, uh, the role that he really should play, which is a field stretcher. And then Julian Edelman, who knows what he's good at anymore? He really looks like a shell of himself. So yeah. maybe letting him be a clutch third down option is is what's sort of left over from his physical decline. If if that's what's happening, I, I really don't under I can't wrap my head around what's what's going on there because he had such a good game against the Seahawks that I just it was there. I don't know where it went. So that's sort of like a new look Patriots offense that seems encouraging to me and would be worth pursuing. Now, can they get the the risk is sort is very obvious. The second round pick could be a very high one, could be like 40th overall. So then but you have to be comfortable giving up 40th overall for everything. And I think they would be just because we've hit a point where the tight end position is such a dire need. Even after putting two third-round picks into the spot with Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene in 2020, that draft, I think there's space for all of those guys in the offense with Keene playing sort of a tight end and H-back role, Asiasi playing an inline blocking, and hopefully at some point a vertical threat role, and Ingram being sort of like a move-style tight end, sort of like, I always hate bringing up Aaron Hernandez, but he is, from a football standpoint, it's a comp. Yep, it's a, comp. Um, yep. a guy who played that role in the Patriots offense better than anyone else. So so that could be sort of the style of usage that Evan Ingram might get in New England's offense. Yeah, no, no doubt. And it all hinges on this ball game. Maybe the biggest October game we've seen for the Patriots in two decades. Uh, this is a huge ball game. This is huge. It all hinges on here. Are they going to be buyers? Are they going to be sellers? Are they going to be in the AFC East race? Are they going to be out of it? We'll find out at one o'clock on Sunday, Henry. I'm looking forward to it. All right, my man? Yes, indeed. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.
just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.